It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to take a ride on the Steelers Afternoon Drive with our co-hosts, Alan Saunders and Zachary Smith. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive. I'm Mason Rudolph's number one fan, Zachary Smith, and that is Alan Saunders. What's going on, Alan? Uh, not too much. I just saw Mason Rudolph in the locker room and uh, you know, just tackled him and started beating the crap out of him because of how much I hate him. <laughs> yeah, like you know what? Now, See, now I feel like it's kind of being like condescending, but we were having a conversation beforehand, and it's like generally – we like this guy. I don't know where this assumption comes from that we do not like Mason Rudolph on a personal level. I actually like him quite a bit more than I feel like most people do. So I was going through the comments yesterday and I was just really bothered by the fact that people were saying that we hated Mason Rudolph. So I had to go back. I, I don't normally go back and forth with people like that, but I had to yesterday. I had to wear this today to kind of just make a point. So I'm here. I am. Um... I feel like I'm doing my job right if at some point you assume that I hate everyone. Like, that's that's sort of where yeah. I am, right? Like, I, I if well, I, no, that's the thing. People think you love Kenny Pickett. So that's why that you hate Mason Rudolph. But, uh, but like, lots of people have accused me of hating Kenny Pickett back when I was saying mm. that, like, the big problem with the offense was that Kenny wasn't very good, at making, <laughs> wasn't doing a very good job of making reads and that, like, firing Matt Canada wasn't going to fix anything because most of the problem was Kenny. Like then I hated Kenny, right? So like now I love Kenny because I say that I don't think that Mason Rudolph is very good. And I also don't think that literally anyone in the NFL other than maybe Mason Rudolph thinks that Mason Rudolph is very good. Now all of a sudden I love Kenny and I hate Mason. So like, that's generally that's generally how I know that I'm doing a good job is when I'm being accused of hating everyone eventually. That's that's the goal. Yeah. 
I will say this is rather uncomfortable to wear a jersey backwards like this, but for the bit, I will. I appreciate the dedication, though. Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for it. Well, I'm going to continue to do it for this entire episode. So, um, but we don't want to talk about quarterbacks. We promised the people we weren't going to talk about quarterbacks today. Um, Coordinators talked. We want to talk about TJ a little bit, too. They didn't want to talk Uh, about the quarterbacks either. Yeah, they didn't want to talk about the quarterbacks either. You don't want to hear about the quarterbacks either. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. Other than me wearing this Mason Rudolph jersey, that's about all the quarterback talk we want to have. Yeah, so coordinators today. I talked to TA. A pretty good conversation about the way things went with that Steelers secondary, the sort of patchwork quilt that they've put together back there. And you know, a lot of people, I think, have very rightfully given credit to Eric Rowe and Patrick Peterson for the way they played at safety in Eric Rose first start as a Steeler and Patrick Peterson's first as a safety. Um, But I kind of want to make the point that uh, that wouldn't have worked if not for pretty good games from Levi Wallace and especially Shannon Sullivan, who I thought was really good. He played the highest percentage of the team's defensive snaps that he's played all year against Cincinnati. Obviously, we know Tyler Boyd is a really, really good slot receiver. He tore up the Vikings the week before and was basically silent on Saturday. And so I feel like the play of Sullivan and and maybe to a lesser extent Wallace, just because they were missing Jamar Chase and guys like Yosha Voss, while I I think as a promising rookie is not necessarily like the same kind of talent. uh, I thought that was really big for the way that all worked. Like it, it, it's one thing to say, like, oh, look at how good Patrick Peterson is and how cool it is. You have this Hall of Famer that's willing to move positions, and he's, he's all about the team, and, and it's great. We should highlight those things. But none of it works if Wallace and Sullivan get play like garbage and get beaten over and over again. Like, that that was an essential part of, of holding together the, the, the defense there. Yeah, I think that that kind of flew under the radar, to your point. Like, I wasn't sitting there thinking, wow, what a game Shannon Sullivan and Levi Wallace are having right now. I was just thinking about Patrick Peterson's first game as a safety, so I'm glad that you're highlighting that. I'm glad the TA talked about it because, yeah, if you're not noticing those guys a lot, that's for the best. You know, if you're not seeing them have to constantly tackle after the catch or whatever it might be if they're not being targeted in the pass game, they're doing their jobs. So, yeah, I definitely felt like watching back Shannon Sullivan had his best game as a Steeler. Obviously, this is his first season here. And he's kind of been like, I don't even know if it's necessarily been like, there's obviously not a ton of splash there. I don't think he's been bad. Like, I don't know what to really make of of this season for Shannon Sullivan. Um, but certainly Levi Wallace has been, you know, very polarizing, very up, very down a lot of times this year. So a very stable game for him against Cincinnati was necessary. But yeah, you know, it's kind of all part of a machine. And if those guys weren't doing their jobs, Patrick Peterson probably wouldn't have been able to do what he was doing on the back end. Yeah, yeah Wallace got beat the one time and uh, <coughs> somebody's head might have been. <coughs> Excuse me, it might have been Yoshivas. Um mm. But uh, T.A. brought up that uh, Shannon Sullivan was really good against the screens also, that there was actually one where he, they beat a block and, and made a tackle for a loss and, and had some, and he said, you know, people don't maybe count that as splash, but like, if you're talking about a DB blowing up a screen, like I count that as splash because if it gets to that point, oftentimes that's a big play against where like, if you get to the point where they yeah. blocked it up and the front seven isn't going to get there and you're relying on a DB to blow up a screen, like that's a potential like 10 or 15 yard gain that, Sullivan took away a couple times in that game, and I thought that was a really good point by T.A. 
So I wrote a, a pretty long story about Sullivan. And also, that is a really important thing this week because, man, like, nobody really talks about Seattle like they're a great offense, and they really haven't been. But just a collection of talent at wide receiver, one through three, mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the best ones the Steelers have faced all year, especially considering they played the Bengals once without Higgins and once without Chase. Uh I yeah. really think this is maybe even better than the 49ers. Like, th- th- this is a really tough matchup between DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Just in terms of the level of talent one through three, they mix and match Lockett and Smith and Jigba between the flanker and the slot. They move them around. Uh, it's a tough matchup, and it, it seems like, you know, maybe they'll get Trenton Thompson back, but pretty much they're going to roll the same kind of personnel plan back out there with, with Peterson and free safety. They're going to need another big game out of Sullivan and Wallace because this is going to be the same job but tougher, I think. Lockett is one of the best inside guys in the whole league. Yeah, two formidable running backs as well. I know that we're talking about pass catchers here, but, I mean, Charbonnet's caught 26 balls. Well, Kenneth Walker's caught 25. Really good pass catching back, too, and Noah Fant yeah. can, can make you pay. Noah Fant, former first-round pick, he's – yeah, 27 catches on the year. So I think that's all interesting. But as you were saying that, and I don't want to divert the conversation, but you were talking about DK Metcalf. I, you, when you brought up the screens, it kind of made me think about like you know being a short tackler. I don't know that we've talked about it on here, the way that Joey Porter Jr. has kind of cleaned up a lot of those tackling issues that we saw early in the season to this point. Like he's, he's really rounded out his game, I feel like. And we didn't think it was necessarily an issue with a desire to do so. It was more of a technique thing. So like, how do you get to the point where he was at the beginning of the season to where we are now, where he's, you know, really cleaned that up? Is it just the reps? Is it in game? Is it something in practice that's been changed? Like, I don't know if that's been brought up to TA at all, but I was just curious your thoughts. Yeah, I haven't talked to TA about that specifically. And they don't really do a ton of live tackling and practice this time. Yeah, I didn't think so. So I don't really want to like attribute it to things that happen in practice. I think it's mostly more about recognizing what's happening faster. I really think that's the biggest difference is that, you know, when you're able to more quickly identify the play and what's happening, you're able to get yourself in a better position. You know, I felt like a lot of those plays where we were looking at Joey and it was, you know, say like, oh, here's a missed tackle. Yeah, it was, it was a missed tackle, but it was also a tackle from a bad angle where, you know, if he had been to the spot a little bit sooner, he would have got himself in better position and been able to make an easier play. I think we're seeing more of that from him. I also think following number one receivers has actually helped him in that area because a lot of times those are not the guys that teams run behind as if they're going to be a big blocker. You know, you're not – now, maybe DK Metcalf is the exception to that because the guy is friggin' my size but runs like Usain Bolt. Um, you know, but like you're not asking DeAndre Hopkins or Jamar Chase to be your big blocking receiver. So having Joey follow them around has, I think, in some ways made that part of the game a little bit easier for him. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. DK Metcalf, 6'4", 235, Joey Porter Jr. Probably going to see a lot of him this week. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about Joey Porter Jr. and how the Steelers have kind of been shadowing receivers basically for the first time since Ike Taylor was here. He used to do a little bit with Hayden, but really 
since Ike Taylor was here, was the last one that they put that type of trust in in their corner room. Um, and he talked about the matchup, saying he's had this one circled on his calendar for a while now. Talked about, you know, he likes to get his hands on guys at the line of scrimmage. DK's a very physical receiver. Very intrigued by how this matchup's going to go, Alan. I think it's the – like the, the the big question in my mind about this matchup is how does it get officiated? Because I mean yeah. Joey, I think, leads the league in defensive pass interference. TK Metcalf has like five personal fouls as a wide receiver, which is just uh mm-hmm. pretty funny. Are they gonna let him play? Is it gonna be one of these things where the refs are highly sensitive to it because everybody knows it's coming beforehand? I don't know. I'm very curious to see how that plays out. I think it's going to be a great storyline to follow. Joey said his mom and dad have been talking about it. Like, you know, it's a big, mm-hmm. obviously his dad's pretty tied into the game, but you know, it's a pretty big deal when mom's bringing it up at home, right? You can't, you can't even get away from it there. That That's when you're in a pretty big matchup. Yeah. And uh, you said something, did DK talk about this matchup? Because I completely yeah, missed he did the too. Seattle side of it. He also said he's been looking forward to, Playing against Joey Porter Jr., which, man, that's really, I think, a compliment to the way Porter has played. But I think, in general, you know, is Jamar Chase a – I think Jamar Chase is a better wide receiver than DK Metcalf. I don't think this is the toughest matchup that Porter has faced. But the styles make the fights, right? Like, this is the one where it's, you know, two big physical dudes who kind of play with an edge, you know, not afraid to maybe get in each other's faces. I'm – I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, and and you're like, so how does that leave the other two, right? Like we've kind of touched on that. Shannon Sullivan, Levi Wallace, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Like they're going to have to be creative on the back end for the Steelers to be able to to take care of those guys, even if Joey Porter Jr. is able to completely negate DK Metcalf from this equation. Well, I think it's going to mean that Porter's not going to have a lot of deep help, right? Because you're going to need to give Levi Wallace – and Shannon Sullivan, some help on that side of the field. And unless you want to play straight up cover two or just double cover them, um, and maybe they'll do some like invert stuff where you, know, you can sit the sit the, the safeties down. But I think on a, on a down in, down out basis, I'm looking at Joey's going to be responsible for DK Metcalf short and long, you know, some kind of cover three or – um, cover one, you know, where he's he's kind of the guy. And then, you know, there's some safety help to the other side where you kind of have Patrick Peterson playing over Sullivan and Wallace against Lockett and Smith and Jigba. That's how I would draw it up, even though that's a difficult assignment for a rookie. I, I think that's sure probably the best way you can deploy what the Steelers have to bring to the table right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm I'm so intrigued by the way this is going to uh, map out, but we'll talk about that more tomorrow, give our predictions and stuff like that. But the key member of the Steelers defense, TJ Watt, is where I want to go with the conversation next. Uh, Alan, there's been a lot of talk about Defensive Player of the Year, obviously, with just a couple of games left. He sits behind both Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons in terms of betting odds, which, again, we had conversations about, like, how do you even have betting odds for something that's voted on by the likes of Alan Saunders right here? Um, but... You know, what do we make of this case? And, uh, of course, like, you know, you could, you could stack up the stats by comparison and all that. But, like, I just think it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, so just to be clear, I don't vote for the AP NFL Defensive Player of the Year, but we do have a 
uh, Pro Football Writers Association version of that award that ah, I do vote okay, for. Gotcha. Uh, and so I will be picking a defensive player of the year in addition to all pro team and uh, you know, rookie of the year and all that. So uh, it's, it's really interesting to me because I think, you know, I'm a very, I, we've had this, the, the PFF talk before, right? And I, I'm a believer mm-hmm. in things like analytics and, and I think they have a big place in sports, but I'm a real problem with using things like that to justify the case for an award like this. If you want to say that your pass rush win rate is more predictive of future performance, and if you're going to give out a free agent contract, you are better off giving it to the guy with the better win rate compared to the guy with the better sack totals. And maybe I should just put this out here and everyone's aware. Tijuana has 17 sacks. Parson, he leads the league. Parsons and Garrett have 13, and they're tied for seventh, I think. They're not even really close. There's like four or five people in between. Mm-hmm. Watt also has more tackles, more tackles for loss, more forced fumbles, more fumble recoveries, more pass defenses, more quarterback hits, more interceptions, and more touchdowns than the other two. There's no single statistical category that the league keeps where T.J. Watt is not ahead of Micah Parsons or Miles Garrett. Yet he is considered to be the third option. And I think this is a lot to do with the sort of PFF stats, like I talked about pass rush win rate or double team rate. And, you know, do those things matter when you're talking about projecting future performance? Who is more likely to repeat the statistical performance they put on the field this year? I'm not saying I agree with all those, and I have many, many complaints about the way they're compiled. But even if I accept that argument at face value, that's not what this award is for. This award is for the person that did the most on the field this year. It's for the stats. That's what matters. Like, I don't care how many times you beat your tackle. How many times did you make an impact on the game? I I don't understand why T.J. Watt is not being talked about as if he's the favorite for this award because his numbers are – clearly better it's not even really close yeah i i mean that that's why i said it's so interesting to me is because like i, I know that maybe that shouldn't be that, that is a good point like it's for this year you're not talking about trying to predict any future success or anything like that and maybe there's some stuff like you can talk about the eye test or whatever when you're comparing guys or something like that i don't know you know the guy that isn't part of this conversation it doesn't seem like that i would have as part of this conversation is match crosby just because every single time that he plays, like he's a one-man wrecking crew. You look at the rest of the talent on that Raiders defense; it's just not half there. Sacks, so I really don't know why he's not in the conversation if if Garrett and Parsons are, because he has more. I guess sure. he's right there. Sure, I, I think you know, just from like a motor standpoint, I think his is good. Like, and I, I just, I don't know. There's just something about him when I watch him. He just seems to me like more of a dominant player all the time for 60 minutes like he just seems to also you thought about that right like the amount of snaps that he plays compared to other guys this guy doesn't come off the field as an edge defender yeah, well, I, there were some browns fans in my mentions yesterday or the day before talking about like oh well Watt has like 100 more snaps than garrett so 
of course he has more stats. I'm like that's not how that works. You're you know you're protecting someone who plays defensive line by getting them off the field more. The ideal usage is like seventy five percent, right? Watt never coming yeah. off the field in my mind is a credit to him, not a detriment. And I, you know, I don't expect there to be a big difference if you played T.J. Watt. 75% fewer snaps, he wouldn't lose any – or 25% fewer snaps, he wouldn't lose any of those sacks. In fact, he might gain one or two. In fact, I wrote about that at Steelers Now this week, about how Watt's best games are the games where he plays between 70 and 80% of the Steelers' snaps. And his worst games are the ones where he plays over 90. So, you know, you're not, you're not making the argument you think you're making by saying that Watt has played more snaps. It's not a one-to-one opportunity either a lower percentage of snaps or just the defense in general playing lower snaps, right? Like that first meeting against Cincinnati where like everybody was just so fresh because they played so few. Yeah. Right. I mean, I do think part of this is just team success plays into it. You know, the Steelers on the playoff bubble, the Browns are pretty clearly in it. The Cowboys seem to be one of the better teams in the NFC. I think that plays a part. I don't really think it should, especially for this award, you know, maybe if you're, you're talking about the MVP, I could buy it. I, I don't treat the offensive and defensive player of the year awards like I treat the MVP. Uh, I think it's about, it's not just about the stats, but it is about the performance that you put on the field this year. And I don't really think how good the team around you is really matters. Steelers defense is great. Like it's not their fault that they've gotten, you know, mediocre quarterback play. And that's why the team is eight and seven. Like I, I, you know. Yeah. So in your mind, Alan, who should be a part of this conversation? Like we said, the top three, right? By betting odds, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, TJ Watt. If you were putting together this list, what would yours look like? Well, so I've, I've probably made some points with the fan base here in my defense of TJ Watt. And now I'm probably <laughs> yeah. going to lose them. So I, I've been thinking a lot about who I am going to vote for for this award. And I am leaning toward voting for Deron Bland, cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, who has five interceptions returned for a touchdown this year. I don't think that Deron Bland is that good. I don't think he's likely to repeat that performance ever. Um, But I also don't think this is like this isn't TJ's best year, and I think he's the best of the yeah. edge rushers. And I I don't like using my vote in a what's the word I want to use here. I don't like to make a point with my vote. I just like to pick the best guy. But I do feel like we've gotten to this place where it seems like the assumption is that the defensive player of the year is going to be an edge rusher, and I really mm-hmm. don't agree with that i I don't think that needs to be the case and five touchdowns is give me another defensive player that's ever scored it's incredible to -hmm. score five touchdowns on defense he's probably single-handedly won his team's games with the with that scoring i just i think that's an incredible thing that will probably never be repeated and if you can't win defensive player of the year for that, man, I don't know. That's it's it's not the way that the voting for that award has traditionally been done. 
but I think I'm leaning towards voting for him. I do not feel like TJ's season this year is just so uncategorically dominant that it would be some kind of crime for me to not vote for him. Yeah, not thinking about like statistically across the board, but I felt like, and it's interesting because going back to the last time that it was a defensive back to win this award in Gilmore in 2019, where I think Watt had a more of a case then, to be honest with you. Like I felt like his season then was more dominant, but again, the Steelers just eight and eight that year, probably playing into that a little bit. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time arguing against Deron Bland in this, in this case, like you said, there's nobody that's flipped the script of games more than Deron Bland has for that Cowboys defense. Um, what a, okay, I want to throw one more name at you though. Just he because, has returned more oh, touchdowns, as many um, one fewer touchdown returned than Kenny Pickett has thrown. Just just for like that's incredible. Like he is he has a better passing offense than the Steelers, Theron Bland. Yeah. Like I, I, it, that, it is really an unbelievable outlier to see one player do that. And I don't know. Normally these awards are like sort of a hybrid between who had the best year and like a lifetime achievement award, right? Where it's like the guy who had the best year that we also generally think is really good. You know, that's usually who wins these. And I don't think Deron Bland is very good. He's fine. He's not maybe he's not even the best corner on the Cowboys. Okay. Right. But, and who knows if uh, if Diggs doesn't get hurt, what his season looks like. Yeah, but but I just I have a hard time saying that's not the best defensive performance this season. Does that yeah. make it? Uh, so leaders in sacks and tackles for loss combined this year. TJ Watts actually third. He sits behind Max Crosby and even ahead of him by three and a half sacks plus tackles for loss. Daniel Hunter, who I feel like really hasn't been part of this conversation either. Yeah, I would put him and Crosby in the same boat in terms of why are they being talked about while Parsons and Garrett are. I think I like Crosby better as a player. Um, I think Hunter has really been the um, benefactor of Brian Flores more than anything. I, you know, not to take away from 13 sacks, but I don't think he's a player, you know, talent level and on the lines of these other two guys. But in terms of his performance this year, he absolutely needs to be talked about in the same breath. Yeah, I agree. Um, Alan, you want to get to at least one question here? Do you have anything yeah. else that you uh, – okay. Uh, no, I don't uh, think there's anything else I feel like I need to bring up from today or anything like that. Okay. We didn't talk about Heinz Ward and James Harrison not making the Hall of Fame, but we had a whole long episode about why I think that they should – so maybe just I'll link to that and we can make sure people see it, but it's out there. My there opinion we go. Hasn't seen it. Um, yeah, so we got a couple, we got a lot of good questions the other day and kind of had to put some in the bank just because we weren't able to get to all of them. And I said that the quarterback conversation was done, but I should have looked to see what these questions were, uh, before making such a statement. Um, because that's not going to be the case because Steelers guy at Steelers sharp says Mason has completely different mechanics process than KB than KP eight at QB, i.e. standing tall in the pocket, working through reads, pulling the trigger. It seems to always have his eyes in the right place. Does this help the wide receivers with yak and how much of a factor does it play when trying to get the offense into a rhythm? 
It can, but it doesn't necessarily help with yak. I do think it helps with a rhythm. Um, yak is mostly about guys breaking tackles. I mean, that's there's a difference between a ball that a guy has to adjust for and is not able to get yak versus one that's on his hands and he can. But most of the time, yards after the catch is, you know, three to eight unless somebody breaks the tackle, right? I mean, if you're talking about getting more than eight or ten yards of yards after the catch, it's almost all about what the wide receiver does and not what the quarterback did. Those first ten yards, yeah, the, the quarterback has some impact on – most of it's like a check, yes or no. Like, was the ball well thrown enough to let the receiver – run after the catch or not. And then after that, it's just all up to the receiver, basically. Uh, in terms of moving the offense, I think just you – know, I felt like Rudolph did a really good job of reading the play the right way from the beginning. You know, that – like making a pre-snap read. And then I think Kenny has gotten that wrong a bunch this year where I just see him reading a play, and I'm like, I would have read it the other way. I think there's there's definitely been opportunity there for Kenny Pickett to be a lot better than I thought Rudolph did well. In terms of standing in the pocket, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of an overblown part of Kenny's problem. Yeah, he runs into trouble sometimes. He also runs out of trouble a whole lot. Um, and you didn't really – I mean, Rudolph did run one time, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to get away from problems. I think it's more about Rudolph being a guy at 28 years old that is very aware of what he can and can't do physically and knowing what he's capable of, whereas in Kenny, you have a young guy still adjusting to this level that is sort of still sometimes learning – who he can get away from and who he can't, where he can step to and where he can't, and still sort of figuring things out in that regard. Uh, I I don't think there's – I I don't know how much of a difference that made. I would need to see more from Rudolph to have a real strong opinion about that. I do think that he read the defense better than Kenny has, and he got the ball out quicker as a result, and I think the offense – operated in a little bit more more of a rhythm partially because of that. I also thought they ran the ball really well. I don't think that really has anything to do with Rudolph, and that certainly – somebody asked me on Twitter about time of possession and, and like, first downs, and I, and I really think, you know, if you're looking at those things, those are more about the running game than they are about the quarterback. Yeah, I, the one thing that you were mentioning there that, like, going back, I was like, this was, to me, the best part of Mason's game – on Saturday, like I mentioned briefly, like his eyes, I just thought he, his eyes were always in the right place. Uh, and he was going through his progressions better than I have seen Kenny for the most part do this entire season. So that is definitely some, Hey, everybody in the comments, I don't know if you're listening still right now, but Mason Rudolph did a great job with going through progressions on Saturday. I just want that to be highlighted by everybody. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention too, uh, with the yak stuff that I wanted to chime in, but didn't get the opportunity to also the defensive player can really help out wide receivers with yak as well. When they take bad angles to the receiver, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's mostly in, in terms of attributing Yak to the quarterback, it's mostly luck. I mean, he's got to throw a ball that is good enough to let the receiver run, but after that, mm-hmm. it's out. It's literally out of his hands. I don't know. There's not. There's only so much you can do, and certainly when you look at that 86-yarder by George Pickens, he breaks two tackles, and the Bengals take some horrendous angles, and Mason Rudolph doesn't have anything to do with any of that other than putting the ball in George's hands. Like, that's – yeah. It, it's it's not a part of evaluating quarterback play, really, after you say, was this ball well thrown enough to let the receiver run? Yeah, which he did do, so – I don't know if ever you guys that are just watching and not listening, you wouldn't have seen, but I did tip my cap there. So, so credit I mean, to Mason look, he, you know, you know, missed Deontay Johnson completely. So like, yeah, it was, it was okay. It wasn't like it was some kind of, we've seen Kenny Pickett make that throw, that exact throw in that exact play to George Pickens, I think at least three times this year. And it never went for more than like 15 yards because the other teams know how to tackle basically. See, you had to throw that fact in there now, and now the comments are going to say the exact same thing as yesterday. We could have just not stated the facts and just... No, I can't help myself. Sorry. I am a <laughs> stater of facts. It is my primary profession. Uh, other than right here, right now on Steelers Afternoon Drive, Alan, where the, where can the people find you? Do we have any more questions or we're done? We're done. Oh, we're over time. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. At, keep those questions coming, and we'll do it. Tomorrow we got uh, preview and uh, whatever. Uh, we'll find something. Yeah, at Saunders underscore PGH on Twitter. PGH Steelers now. SteelersNow.com. Here on YouTube. That's about it. There we go. Like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Hit us in the comments about anything that we talked about on today's we have show. We Joey Porter Jr. up on the uh, channel here. And also our first look at uh, Jalen Smith in a Steelers uniform practice mm. okay maybe we should talk about him just a little bit uh tomorrow as well because we haven't touched on them bringing him in at all so that could be something too but uh leave us a five-star review if you guys are listening somewhere else spotify apple Podcasts, wherever it might be i'm zachary smith pgh for alan saunders and myself we'll see you again tomorrow until then bye-bye it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, 
the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.